It's nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT on 100.1 FM. It is your public radio station broadcasting in beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where we have overcast skies, 53 degrees, a little light rain. At the airport, they have northwest winds to 13, 10 miles of visibility. The weather service is calling for scattered showers for today and tonight. Mostly cloudy today, going to partly cloudy tonight, with a high near 54 today, low overnight of 42. West winds to 10, turning to the southwest tonight. Coming up on the Midday Report, the Kodiak Electric Association has been awarded a million-dollar grant. There's Tremple reports about first language speakers of Kodiak Alutic. And the local space education center in Kenai has been hosting a series of workshops about food sustainability. Those stories and more after national headlines. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Coastal residents in South Carolina are under a hurricane warning. Forecasters project Ian, now a tropical storm, will return to hurricane strength. Ian, meanwhile, leaves behind a trail of destruction from southwestern through central Florida. Millions of people in the state without power. The heavy rains continue to pose flash flood threats. Gary Barber of member station WGCU is covering the hard-hit community of Fort Myers. I got the sense that a lot of people did not evacuate. As you said, it's difficult to evacuate. Right. It's expensive. It's hard if you have health problems and pets and loved ones, etc. Um, uh, I would say that it's uh, Pine Island, as you mentioned, and Sanibel and Captiva. The bridge that goes to Sanibel and Captiva was destroyed and is washed out. Carrie Barber speaking with NPR's Here and Now. President Biden has signed a major disaster declaration to assist communities in Florida. And as NPR's Asma Khalid tells us, Biden's sending the head of FEMA to Florida tomorrow to check in on response efforts. The president spoke with Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis about the federal government's response. He told reporters he's not focused on political disagreements, but on saving people's lives and businesses. This could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. The president was at FEMA headquarters for a briefing on federal efforts in Florida. Biden also repeated his warnings to oil and gas execs to not use this storm as an excuse to raise gas prices. Asma Khalid, NPR News, the White House. When it comes to damage assessment, the IRS announced today that Hurricane Ian victims throughout Florida now have until February 15th of next year to file various federal, individual and business tax returns and make tax payments. As Russia moves to annex four areas in Ukraine, its forces continue to pound others with missiles and artillery. 
NPR's Jason Bobian reports at least two people were killed, a dozen injured in the bombing of downtown bus stop in one area. Local authorities here say that a series of cluster bombs ripped through one of Mikolaev's main thoroughfares at 5.30 p.m. local time. A missile strike on the city of Dnipro earlier in the day left a massive crater where three houses had previously stood. That attack killed several people, including an eight-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl. Further into the Ukrainian heartland, and far from the front lines, a missile struck the central city of Kramatorsk. And illustrating the geographic breadth of the Russian aerial strikes, officials say more than 50 explosions were recorded in less than an hour north of Kyiv, near the Russian border. That's Jason Bobian reporting. This is NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. The Kodiak Electric Association was awarded a $1 million grant through the Department of Energy. The funding was announced by Senator Lisa Murkowski's office last week. The money comes from a federal program, the Hydroelectric Production Incentive Program, that pays hydroelectric facilities based on the amount of electricity generated and sold. This is the first time KEA has applied for funding through the program. The program was authorized by Congress in 2005, although it wasn't funded until 2014. It received a $125 million boost through the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, which was signed by President Biden late last year. Jennifer King is KEA's regulatory specialist. She says the utility was awarded the program's top possible funding amount for energy sourced from its Terror Lake hydroelectric generating station. We first utilize all the energy we can from our wind up on Pillar Mountain, and then the rest of it is supplied by Terror Lake. More than 80% of the city of Kodiak's power comes from the Terror Lake station. Nearly all of the city's power is sourced from other renewables. Hydropower currently makes up just about 6% of the country's overall electric grid, according to the U.S. Department of Energy. King says the money doesn't come with strings attached and will ultimately benefit customers. And we intend to use this to offset the operation and maintenance costs so that we can keep our electric rate stable for KEA and our members in the Kodiak community. She says the funds haven't hit KEA's account yet, but they expect to receive it soon. Half of the first language speakers of Kodiak Alutic died between 2020 and 2022. But as Claire Strempel reports for KTOO, that's not stopping new speakers from learning the language and passing along a distinct culture and worldview to the next generations. If you don't speak Alutic, you won't get the jokes at the language house. It's a place where everything is a lesson. Catching up on gossip, making a grocery list, or washing the dishes. Derek Shia is a mentor there. To really get like the language down, um, you got to use it and, and, and practice it. And, and so that's what kind of the point of the language house is, is a place where you can just get together and like use the language like you would in your, your day-to-day life. No one lives here full-time, but the Shunak tribe uses a federal grant to pay a group of language apprentices and mentors to master the language. Heritage languages are so important, and when you learn them, it's like, okay, 
I'm part of the crew saving it now. Stevie Fretz works for the tribe and as a language mentor at the house. There's no like, yeah, I learn a little Alutic on weekends when I can. All of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, my language, I have to save it. I have to do everything I can. Kodiak is home to a powerful movement to bring the Alutic language back into daily use. For about 100 years, American schools and governments suppressed the language and punished children for speaking it. Now the last people who speak it fluently are almost gone. Fretz says there are a few elders in town she can speak with, and a lot of folks who've gone through some basic classes at the university. So there's a lot of people that will understand me when I say, hi, how are you? And they'll say, hi, I'm good, how are you? Um, but there's not a lot of people you can like have a conversation with around. Like I think they're mostly in this room right now. In some ways, Fretz says she feels like she missed out. The tribe estimates there are now only about 17 elders who are fluent in Alutic left. They lost about that many during the pandemic. That's a turning point. But the language movement isn't giving up. It's moving forward. Haley Thompson administers the grant. She says part of the Shunak tribe's goal is to train fluent speakers who can, in turn, teach. We have a lot of motivation to learn Alutic. People want Alutic preschools and Alutic language classes at the high school and Alutic language classes at the college and teach us Alutic, teach this, teach that. But the problem is, is we don't have the teachers to teach those classes and workshops. A solid foundation of language revitalization already exists here. But Thompson says it's different now. There were a lot more elders before. The next wave of what it looks like is building resources, archiving things that we know we're going to need, spending the time that we know we can get with elders. That's what it looks like right now. Just cherishing all the things that, all the resources we can get um, before we know that they're gone. The stakes are high, but the rewards are immense. Fretz and the others are building fluency to be able to teach the next generation of Alutic speakers. Put your little Alutic hats on tighter. Turn your little Alutic ears up. Turn your Alutic voices up. About a dozen preschoolers are enrolled in the Alutinkit Child Care Center. They learn numbers in Alutic and Alutic versions of popular kids' songs. There probably won't be any birth speakers left by the time they're older, but the language movement is working to ensure they'll have teachers. There's an Alutic language program at the Kodiak College and courses at the high school. And the tribe hopes to put 18 people through its program at the language house. I'm bit. Like, what are you doing now? Yeah. Learners can meet up with elders at the museum once a week. And then, can you say, I wouldn't say it that way. Three of the elders that used to be at these sessions died during the pandemic. But the museum records them, so new learners and descendants of the speakers can hear their stories. Oh, I love speaking my language. I guess to say I feel complete. Florence Pestrakoff didn't grow up speaking Alutic, even though most people in her village did. American missionaries and schools enforced strict English-only policies for years. Parents like hers encouraged English to protect their children. The result was a swift decline in speaker numbers. In the past, it was people were ashamed of the language. It's sad, really sad. 
For the last couple of decades, she's been an active speaker and teacher. She answers her cell phone in Alutic and speaks it with her husband. And that's the vision of the language movement, to have the language be in use, at home, in the grocery store, on the street, and to carry the values that are embedded in the words. Uh, we never say goodbye. There is no goodbye in Alutic. You say, uh, I will see you later. I like that. Like the language in Kodiak schools and homes. Quiet for a while, but coming back. Reporting from Kodiak, I'm Claire Strimple. Kenai's local space education center is hosting a series of workshops focused on an earthly issue, food sustainability. KDLL's Riley Board attended one of the workshops on Wednesday morning to hear local experts in hunting, fishing, and foraging offer their knowledge to the community. What does NASA have to do with food sustainability? That's the question Challenger Learning Center of Alaska CEO Marnie Alcott answered at the start of today's Food Security and Sustainability Workshop, hosted at the Kenai Space Education Center. NASA's always been interested in how do we get a good, viable food source for people who may be traveling further into space. Not only that, but they also have satellites on Earth. NASA studies Earth more than it studies space. And they actually have, I can't tell you how many satellites up in the air that are actually looking down on Earth, gathering data and sharing that data with our local farmers and producers. The workshops are funded by a community grant from NASA and are designed to help Kenai Peninsula locals increase their own food sustainability. The series of three workshops began in May and is covering gardening, harvesting, and food preservation. More than 30 people turned out for Wednesday's free workshop, which brought biologists, rangers, tribal members, and local experts to the center to speak about harvesting Alaska's natural resources. The event kicked off with an introduction from Alcott, who says fears about food access in Alaska, spurred by pandemic supply chain issues, have inspired lots of interest in farming and wild harvesting on the peninsula. But that interest predates the pandemic, too. Farming on the Kenai Peninsula grew by 60% in the last five years. The increase in farms is, is well over the national average, but even more so over the average in Alaska. Largely Many presentations focused on Alaska's most famous wild harvested resource, salmon. Shannon Martin from the Kenai River Sport Fishing Association reviewed ways to access salmon in the peninsula's rivers and lakes, while Colton Lipka from the Department of Fish and Game illuminated the internal processes of regulation setting for salmon fishing. Alaska Wildlife Trooper Peter Hyde talked through fishing and hunting, licensing, and regulations. Um, we always have to remember that um, abiding by the regulations and the laws that are put out for hunting and fishing in the state of Alaska is very important. I see a lot of super young faces here, so if we as adults want to make sure that this resource continues to be for our children and their children's children, it's important that we abide by these regulations. That way they can still have the resource later. Does everybody kind of agree with that? Sandy Wilson of the Salamadoff Native Association spoke about tribal fishing and preservation methods and offered samples of her own smoked salmon to rave reviews from attendees. For the final presentation of the morning, 
Kenai National Wildlife Refuge biologist Matt Bowser gave the audience advice for identifying and harvesting edible fungi on the peninsula. Mushrooms are notoriously erratic. You know, they can always come up at the same times. But it's usually um, after a rain. Is if when you've got, had a couple of days of good rain, that's when you go out and check again for mushrooms, even if you were there a little bit ago. Um, Bowser imparted some knowledge for those looking to get into the mushroom foraging life. He says to always carry a wicker basket in your car for spontaneous foraging, and always carry a knife to cut off any dirty parts of the mushroom while harvesting. The final workshop in this series of three will focus on food preservation techniques. It hasn't yet been scheduled. In Kenai, I'm Riley Board. Four years ago, when Alaska surveyed its 60 and older population, Seniors said their highest priority issues were financial security and access to health care. Since 2018, that population has only continued to grow, testing the limits of the state's elder care services. Now the state is conducting an updated survey to take stock of the highest priority issues facing Alaska's seniors today. John Hagiyagi is executive director of the Alaska Commission on Aging, the state's volunteer advisory board on senior issues. He says the survey is a requirement so that the state can receive federal funds for services like nutrition programs and caregiver support through the Older Americans Act. And he says throughout the state, his group sees a lot of common trends. For example, people have transportation issues, isolation issues, uh, cost of living issues. But what we're hoping to do is get more information through these surveys that really allow us to know where we are today so we can plan for the next four years. Statewide growth of the senior population is expected to continue through 2030. Meanwhile, the resources for seniors in Alaska, a historically young state, have not always kept pace. For example, senior centers and nonprofits on the Kenai Peninsula report long wait lists for affordable senior housing. Hagiyagi says, He's anticipating at least one new factor to play into this year's survey responses, the pandemic. We're interested in seeing whether or not people and how they have been impacted as a result of actions taken at their senior centers, impact on their uh, meal deliveries, uh, that type of thing. The state's survey is due by Saturday, October 1st. The Alaska Commission on Aging has a link on its website. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. Shorn, book one of the Sky Seeker series, is an intelligent and captivating new fantasy novel. Author Larissa N. N. Davila, also a child psychologist, tells a story of oppression and resilience, the high cost of vengeance, and the malleable nature of truth. Through vivid characters and a believable world, she explores the question, are we destined to identify ourselves by the scars others give us? We spoke with Davila about her new novel that Kirkus Reviews called a grand-scale fantasy with remarkable depth and characters that are emotionally relatable and endearing. 
I find a lot of inspiration in nature, and that may be part of my world-building spirit. I like to go out. Um, mountains are my element, in particular mountains and forests, and so I will go out and I will hike.、Um, I spend a lot of time in northern New Mexico. I spend a lot of time in Michigan forests. I'm also a, a rider,、um, so I'll go out for a lesson with my wonderful、um, riding instructor in Michigan、um, and get away. Get a little distance, and and also at the same time get that inspiration for what a world might look like, or、um, thinking about what a what a character might say or do. Love to have background music, but mostly I'm listening to some pretty quieting,、uh, ambient spa music. That's author Larissa N N Davila on her new fantasy novel Shorn, which is available wherever books are sold. Learn more about Shorn and the Skyseeker series at StoneRavenPress.com. Read diverse, read indie, is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Easy there, fella. Good afternoon, and welcome to your Island Messenger for Thursday. It is the twenty-ninth day of September, the year twenty-twenty-two. The sun rose this morning at eight ten. We'll set again at seven forty-eight. That will give us eleven hours and thirty-eight minutes of daylight, a loss of four minutes and fifty-six seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was twenty-eight degrees, set in nineteen seventy-three. And our record high was 63, set in 1989. Currently 53 degrees out at the airport, 55 up here on Signal Hill. We have a light rain falling, northwest winds to 13 miles per hour, 74% humidity, and 10 miles of visibility. Look for scattered showers for the rest of the afternoon through tonight. Isolated showers tomorrow, and mostly sunny skies for tomorrow. For the rest of today, though, look for mostly cloudy skies, high near 54, west wind to 10, partly cloudy skies overnight, southwest winds to 10. Looking at our local tides, we have an incoming tide. Our next high tide will be at 4:35 this afternoon and be 9.6 feet. That will be followed by a low tide at 11:12 p.m. of minus four tenths. Midnight low tide. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 5:05 p.m. and be 15.2 feet in Larson Bay, followed by a low tide at 11:39 p.m. of minus one foot. Mariners, be aware we do have small craft advisories on both sides of the island for today. From Marmot Island to Sitkanak, small craft advisory through Friday. Southwest 25 and seas to 11 feet today. For tomorrow, southeast 15, becoming northeast in the afternoon, seas to 8 feet. Over in the Shelikov Strait, southwest winds increasing to 25 knots this afternoon, seas building to 7 feet this afternoon. For tonight, southwest 20, becoming variable 10, seas 5 feet subsiding. And for tomorrow, variable 10, seas 3 feet. Tomorrow night in the Shelikov, southwest 15, seas to 4 feet.
the assembly will be having a work session tonight. That's happening in the Kodiak Borough Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. On October 4th, the Women's Bay Service Area will be having a board meeting in the Women's Bay Fire Hall. That's happening at 5.30 p.m. on October 4th in the Women's Bay Fire Hall. October 5th, Fire Protection Area Number 1 will be having a board meeting. That's happening at Bayside Fire Hall on at 6 p.m. And on October 6th, a week from today, the Assembly will be having a regular meeting in the Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. It is Thursday. That means today at 3 p.m. is the library's next chess club meeting. Drop in to learn, practice, or sharpen your chess skills in a cozy, friendly environment. No experience is necessary, and it's open to all ages. For tomorrow, come to the garden party at the library. That's happening from 1 to 3 p.m. Weeding, planting, and digging in new soil will help the gardens get ready for winter. Tools and gloves will be provided. Again, that's tomorrow, 1 to 3 p.m. Tired of Dungeons and Dragons? Try Lasers and Feelings at a one- to two-hour library program. Create a character and role-play an adventure with a group. Ages 10 and older are welcome. Those under 18 must be with a guardian who is also playing. Players are able to participate at the discretion of the volunteering game master. First meeting is Friday, September 30th. That's tomorrow, 3 to 5 p.m. Sign up by calling or stopping by the library. That number to call at the library is 486-8686. And the, and the library is open from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. There will be a celebration of life for Bill Harrington on Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. at Tony's. Everyone in the community is welcome to come. Please bring a potluck dish to share, an instrument to play if you feel like jamming, and your memories and good cheer. We're looking forward to seeing you there, 4 to 7 p.m., Tony's, at Saturday. Also on Saturday, the Humane Society of Kodiak's Walk Your Dog event. That's happening at 10 a.m. at the Kodiak College. Pre-registration is at 9.30 a.m. And you can pick up your T-shirt then if you have pre-registered online, which you can do at KodiakAnimalShelter.org or by calling Linda at 907-654-5717. But again, the whole thing starts at 10 a.m. Kodiak College on Saturday. Join in the fun for dogs and humans and help out the Kodiak Humane Society. The Kodiak History Museum is launching their new lecture series on Saturday. That's happening from 3 to 4 p.m. at the Kodiak History Museum. This lecture series will explore the work that KHM has done in the past year and significant events in Kodiak's history. The October 1st lecture will introduce our new temporary exhibit program. If you are interested in learning more about how you can become part of KHM's temporary exhibits, come to the lecture on October 1st. That's happening from 3 to 4 p.m. and learn more directly from their curator. The lecture is free and the cost of, with the cost of museum admission Again, that's next Saturday, 3 to 4 p.m. Kodiak's Fish and Game Advisory Committee will be having its election and meeting on Monday, October 10th, a week from next Monday. They will be holding their meeting at the ADF&G Chiniac Conference Room at Fish and Game's building over on Near Island at 351 Research Court. The purpose of the meeting is to hold elections for expired and vacant seats, discuss Board of Fisheries specific COD proposals, and other committee business. 
The meeting is open to the public. All residents of the area who attend the meeting and are of legal voting age may make nominations and vote on committee membership. Again, that's happening a week from next Monday, 5.30 p.m., the Chiniac Conference Room at the Fish and Game Building. You can join by phone as well. For more information, contact Taryn O'Connor at 907-842-5142. And don't forget to early vote. The Assembly Chambers, located right up here by the high school and the library and the KMXT studios, are open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for early voting on weekdays right up until voting day. Early voting is very similar to when you go to vote at your polling precinct on election day. When you vote, your eligibility is verified, you're given a ballot to feed into the voting machine, and your early votes are included in the unofficial tally on election night. So there's no reason not to early vote. Take advantage of that option. Just drop by the assembly chambers between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. on weekdays. If you have any questions at all, call the city clerk's office at 907-486-8636. And the Kodiak Amateur Radio Services Emergency Services Group will be offering amateur radio licensing exams. That's happening Wednesday, October 5th, next Wednesday at 7 p.m. The exams will be held at the Bayside Volunteer Fire Department's training room. You need to pre-register, so for more information and to do that, Call John Kimmel at 907-942-0741, and CARES provides the testing at no charge. The Hospice and Palliative Care of Kodiak is hosting a Remembrance Altar Workshop. That's happening Saturday and Sunday, October 15th and 16th at Rooted Kodiak. Sometimes the best way to move through your grief journey is through making something meaningful with your hands. Bring mementos, photos, small treasures, from his past loved one, and with the guidance of artist Bonnie Dillard, create a beautiful tribute piece to hang on your wall. The Hospice Care of Kodiak will provide the space and materials for people to create a meaningful piece that holds memories of a lost loved one. And again, that's October 15th and 16th, Saturday and Sunday, at Rooted Kodiak. For more information, call them at 907-512-0600. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the Midday Report at 12.20, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.